I don't think we can get any more buzz. Nah. There, there is a there is a serious. Is there you a go buzz? on the streets of, of Woodford. Oscar buzz. There's there's a lot of talk of of farming, of of fences, and of this pod. So it's well. When is the next getting time, out there? When is the next time the set piece menu quartet is getting together, together. locally? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, mm. so it has its own section on the on the notice board. Yeah. On last week's pod, mm. um, during our conversation, there was uh, a moment when like in Up and the dog sees a squirrel and goes, Squirrel! Yes. The horses went past and I just wanted to, you were in, the, in a, an incredible flow, which I did not want to interrupt, mm. but genuinely I just, just wanted to go, Horse! So if there are any horses during our conversation today... I'm quite surprised. I might just go, horse, regardless if you're talking about like death. I'm a bit disappointed. We normally see at least a horse, if not several horses. Well, I can see a cow from here. You can see what? I can see a cow. Is that a cow over? No, that's a a horse, horse, man. It's a black and white (laughs) horse. Have you ever been to the country before? You think a horse is a cow. Look, all I, it was just the back of something that was black and white. I thought it might be a Frisian. Just check you're drinking milk, because I am a bit worried now. Okay. I have been living in the city for quite a long time How these far days. Away oh, it's that? lifted its head up. Now I can tell it's a horse. How? Because it's just lifted There's its head up. There's someone riding it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's got its name tattooed on its side. Mr. Ed. Oh, but there are lots of horses. Some lovely horses is this go a, past. Is this a, um, a horseway? Yes, because like there's, there's a bridle. There's a bridle. A bridle way. Yeah, yes. You have a, is, a horseway. This is a, a horseway. Oh, it's a road which horses use. Horseway. And you don't argue with a horse because they're quite sizable. And if they sit on your bonnet, big trouble. Is that why you've got gates? Yeah, keep them out. Keep horses out. It's Not terrible. The when they, when they get in, they go through your bins and everything. It's awful. Well, we've got horses at the back. That's the trouble at the back. Primrose loves the horses. You're, you're surrounded by horses. Surrounded by horses. Horses out the front. Horses out the back. Yeah. Horses on the horseway. Yeah, and we go out the back and I'm sure they gather together and start talking about me as well. Or is that just paranoia? This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We have returned to the land of the chinch, or should that be the land of the horse, uh, where after providing the most sumptuous bacon baps on the last pod that you will remember, Nikki is now preparing what will be the second lasagna in recent pod history, but way, way better mm-hmm. than the one that we had at my house a few weeks ago. Is that right, Nikki? Was it shot No. It was microwaved. Did no, you, both no. Was it homemade by me? Ish. Now we are still in rotation as Rory is, not for the first time in recent history, running around France at a major football tournament. So then, as a result, joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, currently aching from his latest Blaze session at the gym. Team Blaze. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who isn't aching because Joao won't let him do any sessions without him and you are not currently in Portugal. I have done sessions with Joao. Fitball for what? Blaze? What's, what the hell is Blaze, Fitball Stephen? versus Blaze. It sounds powerful yeah. and manly. What is it? It isn't. It's just basically... What do you mean to be able to do it? Well, oh, that requires some stamina. There's some cardio involved. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. What can do I, you do? Can I just make sure that we understand that Mrs. Hinchcliffe is currently accusing Mr. Hinchcliffe of not having stamina. That is now on the In record. the gym. <laughs> now move on to your explanation. Of there that. is nothing more boring than somebody describing what they do at the gym. In fact, there is this. The only thing worse than that is somebody posting pictures of themselves <laughs> doing what they do at the gym. Mm. I just. So let's simply leave it that every so often I need to do something to justify the huge quantities of food we eat when we're together. So when you've had your lasagna and banoffee pie, you're clearly going to have to go and do several Blaze classes. I've booked myself in for back-to-back sessions. <laughs> back-to-back Blaze. Uh, now, normally at this point in the pod, we'd bring in your correspondence. But as it happens, this edition is based entirely on your correspondence. An extended edition of Ask Chinch, if you will, because nobody really wants to ask Steve or Hugh anything. Haven't we been promising this for about 20 months? <laughs> so are we calling this, is this the pod post bag? Is the this pod the epi- is this, that's what this episode is. So it's not an extended edition of Ask Chinch. That's already been struck through with a line. Now we're yep. calling it the pod postback. Yes. These are some of your topic suggestions that we appreciate as much as the ones that we chose for a whole show, but don't have the expertise or staying power to sustain them for half an hour. Back to the stamina issue, Chinch. Uh, if you do want to get in touch uh, with the podcast uh, at any future date, whether it's uh, a comprehensive suggestion or one that we can only uh, dabble in, then please do that at Set Piece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com or on Facebook, just search for Set Piece Menu. Are you all ready? 
geared up and good to go. I am. Are you putting a, putting a clock on each suggestion? Or? I'm going to attempt to make sure that we don't end up talking about each of these for half an hour, because if we were to do that, then we would be here for months. Two, two minutes on each one at max? No, because that would mean we'd only be here for about four minutes. So let's we've try only and get got somewhere two between. subjects. No, we've got more than two. We're going to oh. try and get more, through more than two. Okay. But we so are more than two minutes and less than half so an hour. So it's not a rapid some, fire round. Is it? Okay. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I like the idea that those parameters are ones that I'm comfortable with, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, the first one comes from Robin Cowan, who many of you will know uh, is a BBC football reporter and a big fan of Steve. And like Rory, is currently gallivanting around France Indeed. at the Women's World Cup for the BBC. To show you how long it takes us to get round to some of these suggestions, I'm going to tell you at which point in the year or the previous year they emailed. Robbins actually comes in May 2019, so it's not too bad. Hi, guys, says Robin. Still an avid listener from day one, she says. Stamina very much on Robin's side then. Keeps me in the gym at least once a week. It's almost like we set this up. If I don't have anything to listen to, I don't go, she says. Yes, I have tremendous willpower. She would love to know the thoughts of the chums if they think the era of the team of Galacticos is coming to an end. Obviously, there is the technical difficulty with FFP regulations surrounding this, but has this season shown that success is more down to a team spirit? Clearly, Liverpool and Manchester City have amazing players, but neither have a team with either one or two standout players to build the team around. It's been all about the team ethic, with no one shirking their responsibilities. Real Madrid and Juventus, despite winning the title, haven't achieved so much this season. Also, could this be the new era of caring managers like Guardiola, Klopp and Pochettino being the examples who specifically like to place the emphasis on the team's work rather than individual quality? Keep up the good work. You have a massive fan here. She says, with no element of sarcasm whatsoever. That's from Robin Cowan. We love Robin, even if she hadn't finished with that, by the way. Uh, well, the caring managers thing, does it, is it not a, a basis of, of what do they care about? I mean, this is not a criticism of anybody, but what does Pep care about? Is it, is it about the players or is it about achieving as a collective or is it about his own legacy? All those things, I would imagine, would lead to each other in yeah. a beautiful circle, a circle of life. Surely his, his investment in the players is noticeable. It's noticeable mm -hmm. with Klopp and Pochettino. Is this the modern way? Is this the best way to get players to respond? Is being part of the group, not being the players and the coach, they are all together in this. And I was a bit cynical when you see coaches rush onto the pitch and they're hugging everybody, but it seems to be they're not doing it for the TV cameras. They seem to be doing it because that's... How they how they conduct themselves and is that the way modern coaches approach the well, does, approach the job and approach their relationship with the players? Anybody find that galling? Does anybody find that frustrating? Does anybody find that disingenuous when Jurgen Klopp hugs everybody? When Pep Guardiola hugs everybody after after matches which have been uh, successful? What I like about Guardiola is I don't know whether you've heard the the Ben Chilwell story recently after City played Leicester and company scored the wonder goal. Is at the end of the game is that Guardiola went over to. Chilwell and had a little word with him about how good a player he was and continued to play on the front foot. That's that tells you that Guardiola. Which apparently, he's not just Nathan Redmond as well. Exactly, he's um, done it in a slightly, slightly more aggressive fashion. Yes. So he does and it with his own players, but again, to, to do it with the opposition players, that isn't for effect. Because why would he need to do? He just does it because that's his natural. You might want to buy Ben Chilwell. <laughs> there might be so. As I saw that happening, thing, he's just saying. By the way, could you just sign? I don't this? think and he wants to buy. Nathan but he just he, he sees good play and he just reacts to to what he sees in the game in front of him. So with Guardiola, I think it's, again with Klopp has a little bit suspicious with the, the lovely smile and the, the white teeth and the I'm on the pitch with my cap on grabbing my heart and all this type of stuff but it seems to be again genuine Pochettino seems very genuine and it's proving to be successful so is is that the way is this what we're going to see more of, of coaches going on the pitch and, and showing how much they care about their players well certainly the, the, mod, the modern professional footballer has changed over the years so coaches have had to adapt as, as well I mean that sort of we, many things have been written and said about how you may not see another Sir Alex Ferguson again horse he God he's startled me careful not to startle the horse Cow! <laughs> no, that's still a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live that down now. Uh, that you, you won't maybe see a, a coach who can rule with an iron fist because it just won't work. Players just won't accept it. You know, you'd have to be a hugely successful coach to be able to, to operate in that way. The, um, the Guardiola coming onto the pitch and speaking to opposition players amuses me to the extent of how difficult is it going to be for Pep Guardiola to get Ben Chilwell's number just to send him a text at a sort of more suitable period in time to say... I think you're doing really well this season. You played well against us the other night. Keep it up. That's called tapping up and it's illegal. Um, but back to the original point that 
that Robin made about the team of Galacticos now. Have we, we've, we seem to have now got to the stage where we don't have successful teams that carry a luxury player. Uh, most recent case in point, Mesut Ozil for Arsenal, perhaps that being a, a situation that is difficult to sustain. But are we now talking about clubs now that genuinely will not be able to have a superstar footballer, even if you do pull your weight in terms of the physical nature of the game, because everybody has to pull their weight in t terms of being part of a collective, because the way that these teams are set up relies on that to be successful for the team to be successful. I suppose all these, if you look at the major clubs, the successful clubs now, if you're looking at, at City and Liverpool and Juventus and, and Real Madrid, is it becoming, you have to become a modern football club to be successful? Okay, you have your history and you have your, maybe your traditions looking at Real Madrid. Do Real Madrid think, well, we need to be a modern football team to be successful or do we stick with being Real Madrid so we do things the Real Madrid? They may be unusual compared to the other clubs they are they do have this philosophy of signing these kind of superstar players is that the Real Madrid is that their philosophy they're going to stick with that rather than say you know what that's maybe not working for us we need to actually switch and become Liverpool have changed and adapted City have changed and adapted Tottenham have changed and adapted Arsenal presumably are on the road to, to do that as well it's, it's having a history and having a past is one thing but being successful today do you have to become a modern football club, regardless of what you've been through, are Real Madrid unusual because they will stick with signing the superstar players because that defines Real Madrid? I don't think you can say that that era is over. Things are cyclical. It can come round again. And arguably in PSG, you've got a team who have a bit of a Galactico philosophy in terms of signing Neymar, Mbappe, having Angel Di Maria there as well. It hasn't worked for them as yet. But are they going to... They've already sort of committed to that approach in some ways it's going to be very difficult they'd have to offload incredibly expensive players with a high contract worth to change their philosophy so they might yet double down to try and achieve their ambitions and who's to say that Real Madrid who you know at the time of recording look like they're going to sign it Eden Hazard and continually get host linked with a whole host of expensive signings aren't going to go down that route again themselves would Liverpool or Man City sign Neymar no, because so why so why wouldn't they sign Neymar? Because they play in a certain way, and he doesn't fit the philosophy and the intensity with which they want to play. Well, in terms of structure of the club, that so not necessarily on the pitch. You think in terms of his wages and the problems it might bring bringing him. In. Well, but actually, as, on the pitch, as Robin says, it's actually as, on as the pitch much of a financial impediment. To yeah. be to be continuing to do this than it is actually but if fitting we, if we, into the way that the team is set up. Hypothetically, if we took the money side of it out and the problems he might... Would he, does he the fit? free transfer. He's a free transfer. Free transfer. Does he fit in at those two clubs and the way they play currently and how you see them continuing to play? Does a superstar and the greatest players out there, would he, would he fit? Well, no, because they don't currently play in the way that they play for one player. They play towards a player and hope that he will be their match winner. They're much more of a collective. Yeah. And however rich Manchester City might be, they're not about to completely dismantle their wage structure to bring in a player like that. And you mentioned Liverpool and Tottenham in particular in terms of the way they've done things. Well, they've done things like that because they can't. They haven't got the financial muscle to be Galactico Club. So they've had to come up with a different solution. I feel like uh, that is a suitable amount of time to discuss our first. In fact, it was seven minutes, which uh, Chinch is, is relevant uh, to you in so many different ways. Go well in France, Robin. I hope you find gyms uh, where you can subsequently listen to the discussion we've just had. <laughs> yeah, quite right too. And you mentioned Ed Nazar, Stephen. Well, that links rather nicely to our second Add email. It, it wasn't, it, it wasn't going to be the second email. I just decided to change it when you did that. Um, and it comes from Raj Udin, and it comes in February of 2019. Uh, Raj, thank you very much indeed. You only had to wait four months or so for this one. Dear Hugh, Rory, Stephen and Andy, I'm a long-time listener and fan of the podcast. Always lead with that. I've been intending to write in for a while now on a number of different topics, but I've been far too lazy to do so. So lazy, in fact... Whilst in high school, I got a detention for falling asleep in PE. I know you guys usually discuss broader issues, but I was hoping you could talk a little about a very specific one, Eden Hazard. And is he the most overrated player in the Premier League? In a recent discussion with a friend about which players are the best in the Premier League, the highest I could rank Hazard was eighth behind, bearing in mind this is February 2019, De Bruyne, David Silva, Aguero, Salah, Van Dijk, Kane and De Gea. 
as our stats are pretty good. However, when you factor in over a fifth of his goals were penalties, his stats don't look as impressive. I know stats don't tell the whole story, but as he is the only constant attacker in one of the best teams in the Premier League, they probably have to be a bit better. I don't have anything personal against him. He is actually one of the few footballers I like listening to. I like his laid-back attitude, something I can relate to. But I just never got why so many think he's the best in the Premier League. I also believe he, treated, he is treated differently to other players. I'll give a couple of examples. When he has a fairly frequent bad game, he doesn't get the same kind of scrutiny that, for example, Mesut Ozil or Paul Pogba get. When they have poor games, they almost get personal attacks by many in the football media, whereas there seems to be sympathy for Hazard, and once again, the manager is blamed instead. And number two, when, Mahrez, when Riyad Mahrez joined City, the overall feeling in the media was what a confusion. Many questioned why City would want to sign him and why he'd want to join them. The idea that he's not good enough to start. That's despite his two best seasons in terms of goals involvement being better than Azard's. This even more impressive when you consider Mahrez is playing in the midfield four for Leicester and Azard plays in the front three for Chelsea. Yet, if City signed Azard for twice what they paid for Mahrez, it would have been celebrated as a great move. And finally, my biggest problem with Azard is that he is playing in the wrong decade. In the last 10 years, in between the decline of Zidane and Hinchcliffe, and before the rise of Ronaldo and Messi, it's easy, you're right, that is something of an abyss. It's easy to forget just how mediocre football was. Ronaldinho and Kaká were the best at this time. Both were fairly inconsistent. Lampard made the top three in the Ballon d'Or. It's hard to believe that even Pete Lampard would get anywhere near that now. Azar would have been perfect for this period of time. There's no doubting on his day he is phenomenal. But even that phrase, on his day, is problematic. We don't use it to describe other players we consider the best or one of the best. But this inconsistency is accepted with Azar. If any of my views are wrong, I'm happy to be corrected. I guess you can say I'm an Azard agnostic which works if you say Azard without the H. I'm not dismissing the existence of his greatness I'm just yet to be convinced. Kind regards Raj. I certainly don't feel that that Eden Azard is is underrated. I, I don't think it's overrated either. I, this season watching them play under Sari, the type of football that I think he's been remarkably successful considering the style of football that they played is a bit labour, the possession base, and he has been, without him, Chelsea would have had major, major problems this season. So I think he's actually success this season has been despite the way that Chelsea play. They don't play the game that maybe would bring even more out of him. Played in the wrong position through the middle many times as well, which is, is not his best position. He has to play from, from out wide. I, I don't think he's one of those players where you, you just can't see anything good about him clearly he has a, a huge amount of talent and again time will tell when he goes to a different team playing a different way whether that's the right team is Real Madrid I'm not sure because the the, the the pressure on him personally individually will be far greater at Real Madrid than it, it would have been probably at Chelsea so again he if he was involved in a team that played a certain way would would I, I, I feel would see more from him I think he's rated about right yeah at the moment. And in Raj's defence, the last four months of the season, he has done particularly well and he has contributed to, to Chelsea winning yeah. the Europa League, yeah. literally contributed rather than just being a good player. So uh, in Raj's defence, we should, we should put that context into the But I, I don't think mix. anything that's happened since Raj sent that email to change our opinions about Eden Hazard, he, he's contributed 31 goals in the Premier League this season, either scoring or assisting. Those are phenomenal numbers. And he has so you played... can't compare that to, to Pogba and, and Ozil. No. They're just not in the same. But I think he has been playing in a team that has lacked an identity. As Chinch has tried to, the, the, the players that Raj has compared him to have excelled within a, a club that has a, a clear philosophy, and everybody is playing for each other and for the greater good. Whereas I would argue that Eden Hazard has had to occasionally grab an entire team by the scruff of the neck and drag them through to greater than they would have otherwise achieved. You know, would Chelsea have finished in the top four this season and won the Europa League without Eden Hazard? I would suggest that they that would not have happened and therefore he has been incredibly valuable to a team and been asked to do a variety of different jobs, which is very much the, the Maurizio Sarri approach, by the way, but he has been asked to do a variety of different jobs throughout the course of a season to get Chelsea into the kind of position where they ultimately finished. There was a game against West Ham. I don't know whether you saw the individual goal yeah, that he I scored. It was a game that I was covering and the, Chelsea had tons of the ball, were just playing side to side, laboured football. He gets on it and literally, as you said, by the scruff of the neck, he changes the whole complexion of that game himself. And I felt that's what he 
that's the only way he could influence the way that that, that, that Chelsea, the success, any success Chelsea was going to have. He's not going to be on the end of a five or six you know, passing move and tap the ball in. He's going to have to make it happen himself because Chelsea were playing far too laboured football. So he, he was, I think it was a huge part. And again, it'd be really interesting to see how Chelsea do as and when he leaves, where he goes and the influence he has. But Real Madrid, would you say, in terms of getting the best out of him, would that be the obvious place for him to go? I know he wants to play for Zidane, it's his boyhood hero and all that type of stuff. But in terms of, we're talking about, again, philosophies at, at clubs, does he, he fits the Galactico side of things, I suppose, one of the best players in Europe. But will, will that style of football, the way that Real Madrid play, will we see the best of him there? Or will there be too much pressure on him? I would imagine we'll see a greater output in terms of goal scoring from him. Because look at the last 12 months, you stop Hazard, arguably you, you stop Chelsea. That's going to be very, very different at a club like Real Madrid. He won't be the only problem that defenders need to solve there. And he will have arguably even more time and space to express himself and you'd expect that he will do more damage. Luke Ely brings our third subject of this pod post bag episode of Set Piece Menu um, and he starts his email from March of 2019, uh, late March, so that's even nearer to time of recording, uh, with this, Dear Rory Smith's podcast and selected guests. Could have just been selected guests. Greetings from Dubai, says Luke. Really enjoy the pod, although I've noticed that the effort on the food seems to be dropping off. Half expecting oh, what? twiglets and peanuts to be rolled out soon, he says. That is a good idea. I do like a twiglet. Scoffs. Recently, I've been hearing pundits talking about how they didn't receive coaching as soon as they made the first team. <laughs> One of those pundits would have probably been Andy Hinchcliffe mm-hmm. on set-piece menu. We also have young players like Ross Barkley, who didn't receive coaching, he says. Raheem Sterling, who does now receive coaching, he says. And ex-pros seem amazed at the improvement that these players make or absolve them of blame if they don't progress. We also have the Marco Silva situation where he can't organise a set-piece defence. When I look at other sports, all have specialist coaches for individuals. In the NFL, one for Hugh, he says, yes, ding. Many players work during the season, and especially during the off-season, with gurus in their position to improve their flaws. Top tennis players constantly get specialist coaches to help them improve. And in rugby, you have a forwards coach, a backs coach, a defence coach, an attack coach, and they are all highly prominent. So my question is this. Football still seems to rigidly stick to the manager slash coach and assistance model I'm sure they have other coaches but not prominently and the whole world was shocked when Liverpool employed a throw-in coach why don't the clubs have more coaches and spread both the workload and indeed the blame if Everton had a set-piece coach then they could change him and not sack Silva for example which was mooted at the time in late March and obviously hasn't happened keep up the good work uh, says Luke so you have position coaches in American sports, you have it in rugby as well, and there is a sense that every single last little thing is catered for by a separate coach. But, so, in, but in American football, don't certain positions just do one thing? If you're a linebacker, well, don't like you just a, tend like a to do... No, but a fullback <laughs> doesn't just stay in one place and do the same thing every time he get it, it changes. Well, I think, I think it's difficult to compare because you have fluid football, exactly, whereas in American yes. football you have plays. Exactly. So you are, you are able to structure the involvement of any one player in any set play, particularly mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But in terms of structured, specific coaching for positions or mm-hmm. set pieces on the field. So I know, for example, Mikel Arteta is, is responsible for set pieces mm-hmm. at Manchester City. He is the coach who organises that part of training and that part of their game plan. So there are people who do that, but they are, he is, a, he is an assistant, he is a first team coach. He is an assistant to Pep Guardiola. So is there an argument to say that some of these people should be brought in and given specific titles so that you know who to blame but, when things specifically go wrong? But surely when you do all your coaching badges, you're, you're taught to coach all the positions. You don't need a full-back coach, a centre-half coach, a holding midfielder coach, an attacking midfielder coach, a wide player coach. So that's basically what we're going to say, is that you need a, a, an individual coach for every single or position. Or a defence coach or an attack coach. But that's, that's clubs do have, the, in essence, in, in many ways, you have, okay, you have a head coach. But that isn't, that isn't the end of the story, and that guy does everything. They have all these people working underneath them. And because we don't hear a lot about them, it'd be great to speak to a coach and say, how, how is it structured? You know, who, who does the set pieces? Do you have a throw-in coach? Defensive, offensive, attack coach. But they, they do. They Probably the clubs do have a lot of this. But again, if you're a, if you're a head coach and have been through a, 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 the, the coaching structure, you, you should be able to coach a team, an individual, you should be able to do everything because haven't you been taught everything 
along the way but then again there's so much involved with being a head coach they maybe say look I haven't got time I need other people to come in and step in and do these do these different things for me but you all answer to me and we all work from what I want you to do so clubs presumably do have these guys knocking about Hugh would prefer soccer he, he had a he had a smirk on his face for about last would, 20 seconds of what you said Chinch and I knew something was coming he would I prefer knew. soccer if if Ball goes out of play for a corner. Right, players off the field. We're sending on the corner kick special teams. Well, hang on a minute, Chinch would have had a career if that happened. They would bring on the Chinch and they'd, they'd, they'd open up a gate and Chinch would come in. Coming out like goats. And the, and the, the, other, the other team would be sending on their defensive specialists. You know, all their seven-foot players would come on and then you'd, you'd take the... You'd take your corner kick. The defender would head it away. No, no, he, actually, no, no, no he wouldn't, no, though, no, would he, wouldn't. Stephen? <laughs> he wouldn't, though. And then there'd be a mad scramble from everybody to get the ball out of play again on the halfway line so that all the special teams could come off and the open play specialists could return and we could get back into passing the ball. So that really does shine a light so on, on American football and its pure stupidity. <laughs> Just use the same players to do everything. Exactly. That's a great sport, isn't it, then? Foot- Football yeah. as we know it, association football is more is fl- is fluid. You, you need you need to be able to do more than one thing. So I think that idea of you know you you couldn't just be a free kick corner kick specialist, even though you were exceptional at those things. In and the same at everything else, uh, even in the same way as you know Rory Delap went through a period of his career at Stoke where he was effectively known only for his throw-ins, but he couldn't just be. He had to be a pretty decent central midfielder or he played at right back quite a bit as well didn't he to justify his but he couldn't just be in the team for his throw-ins and I think also clubs do have many more members of the coaching staff than perhaps is obvious to the casual observer it just isn't like you would see in other sports they just they don't have the same level of identity they don't have those job descriptions which make you aware of them they are beavering around in the background I think clubs are pretty astute at bringing in certain individual specialists to solve problems I'm sure Marco Silva would have been on the hunt for somebody who could come in and perhaps help improve their set pieces and I'm surprised Chinch's phone didn't ring I am disappointed myself Marco it was defending them that they need to worry about (laughs) but what exactly but what did change was um working physically to get the best out of the position that you played. Danny Wilson started to do it to Sheffield Wednesday. If you're a fullback, clearly you're going to run very differently the ground that you cover than a central midfielder or a centre-half. So they started to then specify that the, the training programmes will be kind of streamlined, designed for the position that you played, which you think, well, why haven't, why haven't we been doing that for 40 years? It just it wasn't. You all trained together. In pre-season, you all did the same running, where a fullback, a modern fullback, isn't going to cover the same ground as a centre-half. So why would you... You need... You need to, it's very different demands in that position. So if that's coming in terms of physically, the ground that you cover is different for different positions. Then surely coaching. But again, if you're a, if if you've done your coaching badges, you should be able to coach a centre half or a fullback on how to defend. Not necessarily getting forward, but how to defend. It should be pretty similar. The the example of the throwing coach at Liverpool was raised, and the the story there was really that we became aware of it. I think Jurgen Klopp was a bit astonished that such a big deal was made of it. We do this kind of stuff all the time and, and clubs do this sort of stuff all the time. It's a bit like when uh, Marcelo Bielsa did his presentation in front of the media at Leeds about how they prepare for games that he didn't need to send a spy to Derby because this is the level of preparation we do and everybody was like astonished. And then other clubs came out and said, what? No, that's what we do as well. There's nothing remarkable about that. It's just because you've become aware of it that it's it's suddenly a thing. And what, in theory, is to stop a team wanting to improve their throw-ins if they consider throw-ins to be an important part of their game, as they were for Andy Hinchcliffe. And there's a piece that Rory uh, did about the throw-in coach and the situation surrounding it um, in the New York Times. And I recommend that you Google it. Uh, but one final thing. It's not, it's not necessarily been something of the recent past. Can you remember when Kevin Keegan was Newcastle manager and they were scoring loads of goals but had problems at the back? He employed Mark Lawrenson as a defence coach. So these things are... Into, now, I'm not necessarily sure how well that worked out and how well the kind of demarcation of responsibilities was and it didn't really But also them. there's someone to blame if it doesn't improve. But there is, and, and he lost his job as a result. <laughs> but but, so it's not, it's not crazy to suggest just because they haven't got names doesn't mean they are not doing that job. And it just happens to be that because of the structure of American sports and because of the nature of how, how positions, particularly in, in the NFL 
are structured in such a way that you can have a group of players who all work under a coach and you have a separate room in which to do your, your tape work and you have uh, breakout sessions. Breakout sessions sounds nice. delightful. Sounds like you're blazed, Steve. Um, you've got, the, got, got ways of making sure that these people are trained to within an inch of their abilities. And that obviously has value because that means you get them to be as good as they possibly can be, which is the same for a throw-in taker at Liverpool Football Club. The, the most noticeable thing actually when Man City won the title at Brighton, do you see when they had that kind of guard of honour and all the staff, the city staff, that you don't normally even know. How many? There must have been 20 of them. And that's probably not everybody, because that, that, that was an away game. So in terms of the people actually work back at the Etihad campus or whatever, you're looking again, Guardiola has so many people in so many different departments. But when they came trooping out, I think Gary Neville mentioned it, said, goodness me, how many? But this is how modern clubs work. And it's Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. It's also a huge thing that Pep Guardiola, every time they have a trophy lift or some sort of set piece occasion regarding success uh, at the club, he makes sure that his staff are given as much prominence as is possible. And that includes not only those coaching staff that are alongside him, the nutritionists, the medical staff, the analysis, the analytical team, everybody gets an opportunity. Do you know the kit men work in rotation and have days off? The kit men. So it's not just one guy. They have a team of kit men. And because of the demands, they, they have to work in rotation and they have to have certain days off because it's so demanding. So even the kit. And you think, well, how hard can that be? It is because, again, the, the, the training schedules and they're all over the place that they need a team of people just to get the kit ready for them. Well, you were telling us after last week's pod when we'd been discussing the championship clubs and Norwich in particular. Um, afterwards, you were saying that even when Norwich got together at the start of the season to plan out things, there was 20 members of, of their football staff, their football backroom staff, and that's a championship club. So you'd imagine that's even... That, that figure is even larger in the Premier League so yeah we just don't we're just not so aware that they're there like we would be in other sports well, that's why it's so fascinating to hear you go away to a country house for four days and assess last season and how, the philosophy they want to put in place and there's 20-25 people there because this is how and this is why these clubs are, are, are successful because they are structured in this way the, the hardest thing is to get all those people working together and people aren't kind of trying to climb over another department to, to look better. They, they all know their roles and they all work incredibly well to achieve what the head coach wants to achieve. So that, it must be hard. The more people you have, the harder it is to keep them all working as, as one team. And that, that's probably the, the major challenge now for a, for a head coach is, is having that team behind you that, that kind of can carry out what you want them to do. Luke, thank you very much indeed. We move on to our fourth topic and we're all doing very well. It comes from Tommy Dolman and it comes from January 2018. And the reason I say this... That's is like that scene in Back to the Future where the guy <laughs> appears from 90 years in the past. Oh, 2018. Le- 2018. I just presume 19. No, January 18. 2018. And uh, that is made immediately clear by the beginning of Tommy's email. Hi all. In light of Cardiff playing Manchester City in the FA Cup this weekend <laughs> and the debate surrounding meaty challenges, physicality and supposedly the line between what's fair and what's not, I was just wondering if there's an opportunity to discuss the physical aspect of football in terms of its merits and how it might be beneficial to an underdog, for example, or not. You may remember uh, that this FA Cup tie, Cardiff against Manchester City, it was the fourth round and there was a tackle by... Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett on... Leroy Sané. Leroy Sané. Mm. And he wasn't sent... He was sent off eventually, but he wasn't sent off for that challenge. And there was a whole debate about ugly, robust uh, challenges um, on players who are considered to be better. And there were apologies afterwards when Neil Warnock... Yes, there were. And it spouted forth this debate, which Tommy would like us to get involved with <laughs> 18 months late. It's particularly relative, says Tommy, to cut matches with lower league teams where perhaps a crunching tackle can set the tone or a tough slog is perceived to be the best chance of winning, which is usually done through physicality from the running and pressing to aspect of, say, uh, the aspect of, say, leaving a leg in. Uh, what basically inspired this topic was your earlier podcast, and of course, for Tommy, it's a lot earlier, uh, about intelligent footballers and how far smarts can get you on the field. I'm wondering if this translates to physicality and how far and how durable that aspect is and whether it's a genuinely sustainable practice. So, he says, how far can size, physicality and intimidation in terms of a tough challenge and the general theory of imposing yourself on a football pitch get you? Well, this is why I feel Virgil van Dijk is such... A fantastic defender, six foot four, six foot five. So can use that physicality when needed. 
But he's the ultimate modern defender because he reads the game incredibly well. So much of his defending is just intercepting or shepherding the ball out of play. He knows that if any challenge that he makes, being the size that he is, is going to look like a foul. So he's actually gone the other way and he's, he's, he's had to adapt his game and use his brain. And that's what modern defenders, certainly centre-halves, have to do. So when the ball is in the air to be attacked and he can get there cleanly, he does because of the size of him. When there's a strong challenge to be made, he can do that as well. But you notice how many times he reads and he gets to the ball first ahead of strikers. And that's what makes him the all-round modern defender. So he could use his physicality if he wanted to. He simply wouldn't get away with it. And because of the size of him, even if it was a fair challenge, it would look like he's done something wrong because people would be sent flying because he's six foot five and he's going charging into them even if it's a clean challenge and he wins the ball so he's he's had to realize and adapt to the modern game and actually realize his size if he, if he threw his weight around he, he wouldn't be the defender that he is so he's shown real intelligence to actually adapt his game De Ligt is very similar as well and they play together for Holland they're just virtually getting past those two is virtually impossible because they have the physicality if they need it but they, they tend to think well if we can get away with defending without throwing my weight around that's the best way because then you don't give the referee any option to, to give penalties or free kicks against you so it's their intelligence that really makes them stand out not necessarily the, the actual size of them so players. if that's the, the good element of physicality and using your physicality well for example Rio Ferdinand was brilliant at, at, at not diving in he, he received so few yellow cards in his career it's crazy for a cent- central defender in the modern era what about the old fashioned reducer and imposing yourself particularly if you are attempting to reduce a player who is notably more talented on a better team who could well hurt you if you don't it's very rare that you get away with it you just simply don't get away with it because it's so unusual these days and they look so obvious I think maybe 30 years ago we we saw more of those type of challenges and the game was played in a different way you just don't see those challenges anymore so when you do see them they really stand out watching games they just look so different from what the players generally try and do. So I, I just don't think, it, that's why I think coaches and, and players, it's not worth leaving something on him because you're probably going to get sent off for it. Because Unless the referees you're Sergio Ramos, anything. in which case you get away with it. Do you remember the, the Eric Dyer challenge on Sergio Ramos when England played in the Nations League, played out in Spain, they had a brilliant victory, yep. scored some great goals, but the big talking point was the not a reducer, it was a fair challenge. But Eric Dyer took the ball and cleaned out Ramos as well. So again, that's getting it. But if he'd have got that slightly wrong, he would have been sent off and then he'd be saying, what on earth are you doing? We're, we're a man down after five minutes. But everyone was applauding the fact that he was a strong challenge. So he, he did the right thing. But again, that is, especially in international football, it's even more risky because they'll send you off for, for, for anything. Yeah, it, it, you just can't with TV cameras, retrospective punishments. VAR, uh, VAR will, will change things even further. And, but and VAR can be applied if a, a, a serious incident like that has been missed. Exactly. You can apply a red card afterwards. But even the tightening of regulations in terms of what is a red card challenge, you know, you're much more likely to be showing a red card for serious foul play than you, you were even five, ten years ago. Uh, the death of the untimely death recently of uh, Jose Antonio Reyes uh, brought a lot of Arsenal fans out on Twitter in grief, obviously, but also uh, remembering that famous game at Old Trafford where Manchester United attempted to, to kick him off the park on the back of, I think it was around about the time of the Invincibles, wasn't it? Well, you just simply, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but, you know, you simply could not get away with that sort of approach anymore. And this has made me think, what, Hugh, when you and Chinch were travelling around the country commentating on football together, I used to, uh, to do something similar with, with Arthur Alberston, uh, former United left back just had twice as many international caps and three times as many FA Cup winners medals uh, and he used to talk about Joe Jordan <laughs> and lamenting the days gone by of when you know if they were playing against somebody who had a particularly influential player they'd they'd let, they'd, they'd get Joe on him one on one early on track him into the corner and if he thought he was out of the line of vision of the referee and his assistants the sharp elbow would come out you know, because the TV cameras wouldn't pick it up. There was no re- retrospective punishment and, and players would be wanting to avoid getting into that sort of confrontation. There's no way... You know, can you imagine Virgil van Dijk being sent out by Jurgen Klopp? Give, uh, give Hazard one in the face early on if you can isolate him down by the corner flag. But also within the game, it seems to me that players are themselves frowning upon. Saying I elbowed someone in the face and got away with it. I'm not sure people in the dressing room would be saying... 
brilliant. Yeah. I, I'm, I, again, unless you're Sergio Ramos. Unless you're, I just think players <laughs> just think, well, we, the game isn't played like that. It's, it's not played in that spirit. And this obviously kind of generating fouls going to ground. I think hopefully players now are realising they're not going to get away with it. VAR is going to make it even harder. So hopefully they will behave. And, and elbowing somebody or leaving something is, is nothing to be proud of. So the players, their own players will be saying, you know, you, you wouldn't want that done to you. So why you do that? That's not how we should be playing the game. We don't want to play the game that way. And by the way, Sergio Ramos doesn't get away with it very often. That was a bit of a, an anomaly in the Champions League final because he's got a quite yes. his, his his accumulation of yellow and red cards is almost as impressive as his trophy haul. So he actually doesn't get away with it. The fact that it's a tactic that has been employed is that Real Madrid collectively are able to get away with his absence every so often because he makes sure he only does it when it's absolutely required. But does he have to do... With Van Dijk, doesn't need to do that because he's such a good defender and he understands how he uses his physicality and his positioning. He doesn't feel, I need to let a centre-forward know that I'm in the game because he'll know I'm in the game. Every time he turns around, I'll be there first. So he just backs himself as a defender to prove his point of how good a player he is. He doesn't need to... I don't think he wants to injure anybody. He wants just to be the best player on the pitch and that doesn't mean elbowing people in the face. Yeah, but, you know, Real Madrid might look at a, a Clasico occasion and Sergio Ramos might approach that as saying, well, you know, I, I can commit a serious foul here. I can run the risk of getting a red card because my team might be, will be able to cope, cope without me for the one, two, three games I'm likely to miss. But my action here might mean we win this important game. Whereas Virgil van Dijk can't go into a Liverpool-Manchester United game with that approach because, yeah, it might lead to them getting a decent result from that contest. But without him for three games, you would suddenly look at whoever Liverpool were playing in the Premier League as being vulnerable. I, d- I just think he's better than that and hopefully football is now better than that, that you don't yeah. need to behave like that to be successful. But it's nice to talk about it happening in days gone by, isn't it? It's just one of those nice... Unless you're on the end of... Unless you're on the end of... And I've, you know, I've seen some... And I've, you know, I've kicked a few because that's the way it was. If you're playing against a right winger, that was the, the coach used to say, if you can, leave, leave something early on him just to remind him he's in again and all this type of stuff. But it's actually, well, if I'm a better defender than he is a better... We'll just challenge each other to, to play our games and see but that was the way well, that was the mentality the coach is actually encourage you to do that which I do feel is changing and is that why Roy Keane gave you one up the pumper because he, he was worried about your attacking threat yes down that, the left hand side taking that throw in in the Sheffield Wednesday yeah. defensive third oh, he Wednesday. clearly realised the danger that was, was going to come from this, this throw into Des Walker. So he thought, I'll give you a right good boot. But it is a good point. I don't think as, as a commentator, you go into a Premier League game these days, keeping your eye open for a sort of like a Lee Catamol as being a walking yellow card or, you know. It does stand out when it happens. You yeah. remember it because it's so unusual. Yeah, yeah. Thing. You know, Fela- the, the, the departure of Fellaini might be, you know, might, he might have taken that legacy with him. Well, Who I, knows? Asked, I asked you before we, we knew what we were maybe going to be talking about is, is, are there players like that that we go into working on a game saying we've got to keep an eye on him today because he has a rip. There aren't many players, if you think, look at the Premier League now, that you would think, well, I'm not surprised that he's done that. It doesn't seem to be in the game as much. Or when it does happen, it's unusual, maybe unexpected. These players don't have that reputation anymore. Can I just share my, quickly my favourite Lee Catamol story, which is I was sent to do a game five live, Sunderland. Absolutely, Sunderland West Ham at the Stadium of Light. It absolutely hammered it down with rain for 48 hours. Um, and when I got there and I was setting up my equipment, you could see the referee was out there with a the ball, already concerned two hours before kickoff about the state of the pitch, kept an eye on it, kept going. I popped down to the tunnel area to try and get a bit of a steer on what was going on. The players had just arrived, so it must have been, what, 90 minutes or so before kickoff. The players were in the tunnel and Catamol was at the mouth of the tunnel, absolutely chomping at the bit <laughs> to get out there and the referee was having none of it. I want to start a slide tackle on the 18-yard line and I want the eventual contact to be on the other 18-yard line. I don't care about the rest of you or the officials I'm playing today. <laughs> everyone, else, everyone else was like, I don't fancy it today, but Lee was, he was right up front. Uh, well, that Lee Catamol story has probably meant that we can't do a fifth oh, no, uh, story um, unless you want to answer it in one uh, one answer. Let's see if we we'll can do it. Do it. We'll do it very, very briefly because Stanley Amoa has a chance to get involved. And this one also came in February 2019 at the time that Declan Rice was being called up by England after that, what can only be described as a who and indeed ha. Dear Set Piece Many, this is my first email, hence Buffalo status is light years away from me. An avid listener of the show, this email was triggered by Declan Rice's decision to switch from Ireland to England. I wanted to ask whether you see this having an impact on international rules regarding nationalities switching. What do you think the likelihood is if you think when a player plays for a country, says Stan, uh, uh, Stanley, uh, 
they ought to or ought not to be eligible to switch thereafter, or are you happy with the rules currently? Is, is it under, if you play it under, when I was playing, if you played it under 21 level, that was you basically declaring who you, is that still, is that still the case now? Or is there a point, or no. can you play under 21? It's got 21 to be a competitive can... full international. Okay, so again, it's going to happen, of course it's going to happen more and more, isn't it? Players are yeah. going to be tempted if they get the opportunity to possibly play at a World Cup or a European Championship. They're going to think, well, if I play for England, that's, that chance is going to be heightened for me. I can't see them... T- I don't know why they would tighten the rules because human rights would come into this. Stanley suggests as well, are we likely to see cynical capping like Wales, he says. I don't know what he's particularly talking about. Where players are capped in competitive matches at a young age and therefore prevented from playing elsewhere. Or are we likely to see countries offering themselves as a taster for international football? Just see how it goes, culture. And therefore lure young footballers into putting their shirts on at a young age and hope that it would lead them to committing eventually. But for these young players with their families and their agents, they'll be very aware of this situation and will know they want to give themselves the best opportunity later on. So they're not going to maybe fall for, oh, I played in a game I didn't realise that. That then binds me to a country. They'll, they'll be well aware of it. I think, if anything, it'll become more complicated. And as Chinch suggests, players will have to become even more aware of the commitment they may or may not be making at a young age as to their international future. Because, yes, you have to find that right balance between pride in your nation. But also, let's be honest, let's be cynical about it. The reality of, you know, performing on a global stage further enhances your reputation and you know you look at great players of the past like George Best and and Ryan Giggs who've never had that opportunity because of their their nationality and and there may be one or two now who who view a situation in terms of thinking well yes I want to play international football but even more than that I want to play international football when it really, really matters, and that's World Cups and European Championships. Stanley, you've got less time than everybody else, but I hope you appreciate that you were involved nonetheless. Uh, thank you to everybody, and, and uh, we say it all the time, we are incredibly grateful for all the topic suggestions you have. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Who knows, we may get to them sooner than we did Tommy some 18 months afterwards. It is time before we leave for Nevermind Jack and Ori Water Soccer Story. This is Andy Tells a Tale of Miss Playing Days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, you're well aware now that I'm a, a well-established, well-respected pundit. Yeah, going to say anything? No? Going to well, leave I, it just, I just leave we it at that. allowed to heckle you. You are, you are well-respected yeah. in places other than this one. Great. Good. That's, that's important. That's important. So, anyway, I, I've kind of hopefully starting to pass my knowledge, knowledge on to players coming out of the game um, and asking for some advice. So Lee Hendry is, you know, everyone knows Lee Hendry? Everybody knows, knows Lee the Hendry. Li- the little fella. The little chap. Little Lee, we call him. Uh, so he started to do some, <laughs> some work for Sky and he's done some cold commentary. So I've, I've done a bit of work with him. We've sat Already down. Already building his self-esteem with that nickname then. <laughs> I don't, to his face, I don't call him that. Uh, Big Lee, I call him. Uh, or Lee. So actually, we've done some work with him, but I, I felt maybe, and I wondered why it kind of struck a chord with me to do some work with Lee and not maybe other people. It does boil down to an experience we had together when we were with England. I don't like to say that I play for England, but I, uh, I play for England. And this was, I've just as had to did, check the date. Well, this is the story. This is the story. And you've just spoilt it. This is a cold <laughs> November, cold November evening, yep. Wednesday the 18th of November, 1998. Which was the same time that Tommy Dolman sent his email into set yes, menu exactly. asking for a response. So that is a date etched in the memory of England fans. It was England against the Czech Republic. I surprisingly got injured. I was in the squad, got injured in the lead-up to the game, so couldn't play, but stayed on with the boys to support them. Now, <laughs> even though they never spoke to me, I was still there presence. to support them. Oh, and it, it made all the difference. The, the, you notice the, your no-heckling rule has been completely When ignored. the Czechs saw me on the bench, they were terrified. Ah! They said, oh my God, how are we going to beat this team when he can't even get in it? I was injured. Even anyway. If we, even if we see off Lee so, Dixon, ah, look at the problems God. we've got to deal with afterwards. So this was Lee Hendry, his first call-up to the international setup. So he comes on as a 77-minute substitute. So he makes his England debut. Fresh-faced curtains. Abs- yes, fresh-faced curtains. So he plays 13, 14 minutes. So at the end of the game, I remember this. We're all in the dressing room. And it's just had, he just had his first cap. And we're, I remember, I don't know why, Lee, this is going to be the first of many for you. This is a journey you're starting on with the ability you've got, your mental approach. You will be you will be around for a long time to come. How many more England games did he play? None. <laughs> Absolutely no more. He played 13... How, how many minutes did Joey Barton play? Did he play about five at one point? Yeah, against Spain in a... F- I'm just hoping that Lee doesn't hold the record 
of the least amount of minutes for an England international because I did th- I thought he started the game so I had to double check this and he didn't he played 30 minutes he but had I remember a really good saying, chance to score can you remember did he? he had a really really good chance to score so actually that was his fault so if he'd have scored he would have Very gone different. on to get at least eight caps but I remember <laughs> saying so I don't think I said it to anybody else in my whole career about this is just the start for you you've everything in England are desperate for a player like you never appeared again and yeah, he's and coming that, to you for advice again. I do, well, the thing is, I don't think he remembers me. I'm going to say, oh, in the world of punditry, Lee, this is just the start for you. You, are, you will be... Um, so I, 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 this is where it stems from. This, I didn't realise this was the case, but then, you know, in the evening you're sat there watching the TV and then something sort of pops into your head, Lee Henry, Lee Henry, didn't Lee? And then I had to double check this. And I think that's where my, my fatherly feelings towards... Father Lee. Uh, Father Lee towards Lee has come from is because is I let him down so badly and me saying that inflicted a non-England career on him. That, that is how powerful I am. Not only do I ruin my own career, but can influence... I'm like a footballing god, And then basically. you're going to ruin his secondary career as well. No, I'm not going to say it because I've learned from this. I'm not going to say anything or going to say this is going to go terribly badly. You've got no chance. He'll be brilliant. If you have a soccer story, please send them. And your, your name may well be Lee Hendry and you have something to get off your chest. Uh, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Uh, please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and to Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Why, why do you remember that game? How can you remember I remember it? Lee Hendry being the next bright young thing. Yeah. Um, and he came on and he... And he he swiveled. The ball came to him. I think he had it back to goal and he swiveled. It was only about seven or eight yards and he dragged it wide. And it was, mm. it was like, as a young person at the time, as I was, because I'm considerably younger than you, Ginge, <laughs> as a young person at the time watching and wanting all those young players who broke through to the England team to be the next person who was going to send England to all sorts of glory in the future. I just remember th- him, him having that chance and thinking what an amazing debut that would have been for that young player who we all, we all, there was some element of pressure on because he was the latest young player to be capped by England and he and he and he I don't know if he scuffed it or 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 whether it was just a kind of bad connection but he had a really really good chance and he didn't take it and I just thought to myself I'm sure that's the point I shouted score Lee (laughs) and he put him off put it past the post I think again that was my so he he was feeling down after the game because he failed to take that glaring uh, opportunity to be a a debutante and scorer Mm. um, and then you made it worse we promising but we need to redemption. find out who has played obviously clearly only one game for England but who has played the fewest minutes w- within that debut I'm sure Joey I'm, let's see whether Joey Barton holds the record for that but Lee's got to hope there was some added time hope there's about 20 minutes of added time just to just to bump up the figures poor little Lee when he turns up is he on a BMX That's little Lee turns he, he, Lee, does, he does wear very he, tight he, suits he rides well. over doesn't he from hanging outside <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> He still looks about 12. There is, funnily enough, a website to answer that very question, and I've, I've gone onto it now. Now, you've got official minutes and actual minutes. Mm. Official minutes, the winner is uh, Nathaniel Chalabar, although he could still be capped in the future. Mm. He was on for, officially, zero minutes because he came on in injury time. But there was a considerable amount of injury time. It was in the win against Spain um, last October. Uh, he was on for 6 minutes 54 seconds. Now, on for 6 minutes 53 seconds... Ooh. But officially on for two minutes of the match was Martin Kelly when he was oh. with Liverpool for the 1-0 win against Norway in May 2012. And that's the, that's the only game he, clearly, that's the only game he played. This is, this is an interest. this could be, a, we could have a pod in this, couldn't we? No. What a website. Who's, who's gone to the trouble of doing this? Lee Hendry. <laughs>